0: Hey everyone, this is Chris and Dan. Welcome back to A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache. Uh, Chris here. I'm with my good friend Dan and we're going to be talking to Dan today. Dan is coming up on his three-year anniversary of losing Jameson tomorrow. Um, So I really wanted to kind of interview him a little bit and get his perspective and see how things have changed for him. So morning, Dan. How are you doing?
1: Good morning, Chris. Same old, right?
0: Yep, same old, exactly, for sure. (laughs) Hanging in there and uh, just taking it day by day, that's all we can do. So um, I I guess I would just want to kind of jump right in there and just jump right into the questions and see how you're doing. And um, first off, for those that might be listening for the first time, you want to just kind of explain real quick um, what tomorrow is for
1: you. Yep. And it actually starts tonight. I actually just put a Facebook post up because of the Facebook memories. Um, Yep. Three years ago today, we got up. We went to school. Everything was normal. We came home from school. Jameson and Reese played basketball for, I think, like two hours outside. Everything was absolutely normal. We ate dinner. And then at 7.30, we put them down to bed, just like every other school night. And... It was, if I remember right, I was watching the Duke basketball game, I think, if I remember right, it was Virginia Tech, and Jameson came in about an hour after we put him down, and he was crying, vomiting, um, flipping out, thinking that it was the flu that he had, and so we just kind of prepared for a long night of being awake, just like any parent with a sick child, and uh, I went out and got the couch ready, got the bucket, got just everything, set up a bed area for me. And we, James and I, did not sleep another wink the rest of the night. We, he was up just feeling awful. He threw up multiple times. And again, it was the flu. And I sat there all night. Just wondering, man, should I take him into the hospital just to make sure? And and then my immediate thought after that was like, they're going to send us home because it's the flu. So we stayed and we just stayed awake all night. And I listened to my son throw up and cry and try to sleep and everything. And as a father, I just laid there helpless. And that feeling is just awful. And But again, it was the flu it would pass. The next morning, uh, somewhere around 4, 4.30 ish, Jameson told me that he wanted to go into his bedroom and try to sleep in his bed. So, it's like, okay. So he got up and tried to walk and he collapsed down on his knees right away. And I figured, he's exhausted. He's been thrown up all night. He's dehydrated. He hasn't slept a second. And but it's still just the flu. And I kept wrestling with should I take him or not. Should I take him or not. And I kept deciding no it's just the flu. And they're going to laugh at us and send us home. So I picked him up and carried him. He was completely limp. I again just figured he's exhausted and dehydrated. And I put him in his bed. And we laid down. And I don't I don't know how much longer it was after that. It wasn't too long. Uh, he... Just turned and said, "Dada, I can't sleep with you in here." I'm like, "Okay, bud." And I don't remember if I said anything else. I don't remember if I said I love you. I don't remember if he said I love you. Um, Obviously, there was no intent there, but I think the last words out of my, out of his mouth to me were, "I can't sleep with you in here," Um, because I left and went into my bed. Erica, a few minutes later, came in to check on him and he all night long again because he had been throwing up and stuff he had been complaining about being thirsty and we're like where's that mix of you give him a little bit of water to help with the thirst but you also know he's gonna throw it right back up so he hadn't had much to drink all night Erica got him a little sip of water and then she he was I think laying his head against her chest and she sat him up in the bed and kissed him and came back to our bed and then a few minutes later for whatever reason I went in and checked on him and I found him with his eyes rolled up and as I've said many times I'm pretty sure he was already dead Um, I did pull him out I started CPR and obviously we went through that process but um, the the responders came and their response was phenomenal Luckily, we have one, one EMS guy is across the road and like half a mile down the road. So he was there super fast. I remember him coming in, taking over CPR, and I remember looking up. I remember him checking, um, making a comment that Jameson's skin was already blue. And then I looked up for something and looked the other way and looked down again, and Jameson was not there anymore uh, the guy had picked him up while I turned aside and taken him to the ambulance and we went our hospitals four miles away so it wasn't wasn't that far of a drive but we got there and they shuffled us into the room and I just I knew already um, but about maybe half an hour later they came in and told us that they had they had tried everything they had given him the epi EPA, veteran, or I don't remember the name of the medicine, but whatever that shot is to try to restart the heart, and there was nothing we could do. So we, they took us back, and we just stayed there for a little while, just more in shock than anything, obviously, and then uh, we knew we wanted Jameson to be an organ donor, and so we, we cut that last bit of time shorter, because we were figuring they had to get Jameson's body into the refrigerator and get it cooled off and whatever else they needed to do. So we we said our goodbyes and we, we left. And then uh that was that was those days. So just in a span of seven thirty at night until five thirty the next morning, ten hours, he went from what appeared to be completely normal and healthy to dead.
0: Well, Dan, thanks for sharing the story again, because I know it's hard every time you have to share that story and you have to relive all those details again in your mind. So, um, but with that, you know, this is your third anniversary and I was curious how you feel, how your grief has progressed from the first year to the second year to here you are now in the about to be the third year how do you feel that your grief has progressed um and how you're dealing with it
1: yeah yeah the first the first chunk of time for us was there's obviously shock um there is nobody in this world who expects that their young child is going to die uh so just the shock of losing jameson but then also the shock of how quickly it happened and we were, that first, I don't know, couple days, whatever it was, there's the shock, you're numb, just the shock and awe of, I can't believe this is actually true. And just laying in bed, literally we've talked numerous times and Dennis mentioned it, the step-by-step idea that we just laid in bed and literally it was a success if we got out of bed to get dressed, to go to the bathroom, to go eat, um, because laying in bed is what we had to do. Um, the first year in general was, uh, I think it would make sense to almost anybody, The that's where the, the major breakdowns happen all the time. And these are the big, heavy cries The ugly cries that everybody goes through at any moment um, over any trigger, like Chris and I have talked about numerous times, because you're you're getting used to the new normal that you're going to live, and every single thing you do is the first time that you do it as a family of three on earth instead of a family of four on earth. So the first year was just the big ugly cries and triggers left and right and triggers over the dumbest things. Um, my sister emailed me the other day just, just sharing her thoughts, and uh, she had a steak in the fridge that triggered her for no idea why. Jameson didn't even really like steak that much, but that was her trigger, and that was three years later. So just everything in the world t- triggers you. The second year, the first anniversary actually was weird because you, you have all this buildup and you, everybody's just expecting that February 27th is gonna be an awful day. And for me, the first year was the building up to the first anniversary, it was obviously hard. Uh, Still a lot of numbness, a lot of just wondering what's coming my way and what's going to hit. And the day of Jameson's death, February 27th, the first year, was actually a very good day. Uh, I went to school and the first thing that happened to me at school was I was, I mean, I was trying to teach a group of 25th graders and... I was looking for the math page I was going to work on for that day, and I flipped open and found the page that had the topic we had been covering and was reading through the problems to see if they were the right kind of content. And problem number 11, Jameson ran a race, yada, yada, yada. And I've talked many times about signs and I mean, I want signs. I want Jameson to send me signs left and right, but I also don't want false hope. Uh, I'm, I I want to cling to hope, but I want to know that it's real, and that's hard because sometimes I, if there are signs, I'm sure I shut some out because I don't want false signs, and I'm stubborn, but, I mean, heck, if the day of his first anniversary there's a math problem that has his name in it, that was a sign. And then I remember one of my students, and I, I won't name her, but I wish I could because she's just one of the sweetest little girls. Um, when she handed her paper in and I graded it, I saw she had, she had just circled his name and drawn a few hearts. And something like that, Just that really hit me, just how sweet this little girl was remembering Jameson. But... The day of was actually pretty good. Um, it was actually, for me, the day before the 26th. That, in hindsight, was the hardest day because you knew what was coming. And I I guess the mindset, in looking at it after the fact, the mindset was, um, this was the last day I had Jameson alive. So that, that hit me harder than the day of. But... The day of, again, it went pretty good, and then we went to church that night for, um, it was a Thursday, and we, we had um, some men's and women's groups we had been attending, and again, everybody's like, oh my God, Dan, how was today? And I'm like, it was actually okay. All And again, please understand when Chris and I and grieving parents use the word okay, our definition of okay is nowhere remotely close to anybody else's definition of okay. It still sucked but it wasn't a day full of breakdowns, but it was okay. And I made it through almost the whole class. And then literally with like 10 minutes left, our pastor came in. It's like, Hey Dan, I need you. Reese is sick. And Reese had thrown up all in the room he was in and all the way down the hallway to the bathroom, all over the bathroom floor. So, after what should have been an awful day, but turned out to be an okay day, it ended with Reese getting sick and having to clean up his vomit, just like I had a year ago with Jameson. And so the annoying factor was part of it, but then also, too, just the fear of, oh, my God, the same thing one year later. Uh, So that just set me off, and it, Set my pastor off and he kept checking in on me all night and the next day, like, how's Reese? How's Reese? And turns out he had just gotten himself too worked up with the fun and excitement of what they were doing. Um, but man, that was scary. The second year was where numbness really hit. Uh, just that's where the realization that Jameson is gone sank in. And There weren't as many breakdowns as the first year, uh, but just numbness and going through it, just going through the motions. And I don't really remember a whole lot about the second year that was really anything too worthwhile to talk about. And then this year, um, very few breakdowns, still very often I will have those little, like, again, just the triggers and memories of, oh, there's the class yearbook. Oh, there's a whatever, field day. Um, Again, almost everything triggers that, oh, yep, there it is again, and it's still always there. Um, I think this year probably has even more of the numbness in year 2 had where i just again i'm just i'm just stuck in this world going through the motions waiting for god to bring us all home and i don't really i don't really care about a whole lot i don't care i i do my job and i work my tail off for my kids but i don't do anything extra at work um i'm i just struggle on a day-to-day basis just finding motivation to do anything other than the things I have to do to survive and help my family survive so definitely the third year is not as emotional on the 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 big outbursts uh, but just a consistent still a consistent flood of little ones so I think that's probably it no that makes a lot of sense and
0: um yeah. I, I hate that we have to even go through this, that you're going through this right now. So, um, you know, you talked earlier about when you were telling the story of the night Jameson got sick and, uh, hopefully this isn't too hard of a question. Um, and you were debating taking him to the hospital and I'm curious, uh, cause I know for myself, I still have some regrets. I try to not let them eat me up too much, but, do you still regret? Like, does it eat you up inside that you didn't take him to the hospital? Is it something you think about often? And if so, how do you how do you get through that? Because, you know, at the end of the day, just like for myself, there's nothing I could have done different that would have changed the outcome. And I think that's probably the same for you with Jameson, but it still eats you up inside because as a dad, you feel like you're the protector and you're supposed to protect your children and your family, and make sure everyone's okay. And it's almost like we failed at that job. So I was curious how how you feel about that.
1: Yeah, and actually you just asked two questions. So I'm, I'm going to address two things first. Um, it is hard to talk about this. But Chris and I have said numerous times that our mental health is so important. And Chris and I talk to people every day that, are hurting other dads or whoever it is that we come in contact with. And it is hard to talk about the death of our sons and it's hard to talk about life without it, without them. But it is not healthy to keep it all bottled in. And Chris and I have had many, many big ugly cries over the last couple years uh, and they, they suck. There's nothing, no way around it. They suck, but they're healthy and they're curative. That we want to encourage everybody to find the right people that you can have those big, ugly conversations with that they're going to sit there and listen and cry with you and just not try to fix you but encourage you that you're right, this sucks, but I'm going to walk the journey with you Um, because... we need we need people to f- get help with their mental health Chris before I address the regrets question, you asked, is there anything you want to say about mental health?
0: Yeah, I mean, I am a huge, huge advocate for mental health when when we first lost Mason uh, I want to say within the first week I was already seeing a doctor for mental health and you know, we have numerous episodes on mental health, so go back and check them out but don't be afraid to make that jump. It really does help. It makes a difference. And uh, yeah, reach out to us if you can't figure out who to go to. We we can help get you in contact with someone that'll be able to help you.
1: Yeah. So in terms of regrets of that night, I don't I don't have any um, really. I mean, there, yes, there's always going to be a nugget of regret of what if I had taken to the hospital. Maybe um, the thing that takes the majority of the regret away as uh, Jameson's autopsy came back. And when we heard what he p- passed away from, uh, we talked to the doctors at the hospital, but we also reached out to his pediatrician in the Raleigh area and asked him, what, like, what is this? Again, Jameson passed – he had a malrotation of the v- volvulus, which is basically his small intestine twisted. And it was a birth defect where there's some muscle or tendon somewhere going down the front of your body that holds the intestines in place the right way. So they, during uh, the pregnancy, your intestines are, are laying down the right way and bending the right way. And that just, I mean, that's just amazing in any situation, like, to think about how long our intestines are and how they have to lay perfectly correctly for to leave the path open for all the food and stuff to process but Jameson's apparently did not lay correctly during pregnancy and then this muscle or tendon was I think it was in the front of his body and it was supposed to be behind them so it it wasn't doing its job supporting the intestines and no idea why it took nine and a half years for it to twist but It took nine and a half years. And so um, our doctors told us that even if we had taken him to the hospital at 8.30 the night before when he first threw up, that it would have been a major surgery that he probably would not have survived. And that's, again, if they had even dug deeper than it was the flu. And there were no... The only symptom that I think maybe presented itself was the color of his vomit. And I'm colorblind, so it's hard to talk about it. But apparently during a volvulus malrotation, the vomit might be a different shade of green. And so maybe the doctor would have said that, saw that, and said, hey, that's not the right color. Let's do whatever. But the chances were very slim they would have identified it and been able to get back and have a su- successful surgery anyways. So no, I, I don't have any regrets. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Cause I know
0: a lot of people, they do have a lot of regrets. It eats them up inside for years and years and um, you know, it just makes that grief process even worse. So uh, the next question I have for you is um, you know, Jameson's Joy. You've told the story how it's all started and the process of it. And it's been a huge success. You, you've influenced a lot of dads and helped a lot of people. And I'm curious, how does the success of Jameson's Joy you know, make you feel overall? Because the essence of Jameson's Joy is the remembrance of your son, Jameson. So it's like a bittersweet to a sense because it's all in memory of Jameson. You know, you would rather have Jameson, but here at the same sense, you're helping thousands of dads through different processes. So I'd like to hear how, how that success makes you feel. Yeah.
1: Um, first, I want to clarify, too, it's Jameson's joy, not Dan's joy. Um, I am not joyful at all. My attitude sucks. I am broken and destroyed and still... Three years in, um, I still don't see that exit from from the hell that we're in of losing Jameson. And again, Dennis was very inspirational and gives us hope, but we're still in that valley trying to climb our way out. So we're not happy, joyful, loving life, anything like that, and that's something that Again, people need to understand that just because we laugh or smile at work or in public, whatever, we're not okay. Um, It's Jameson's joy because that kid was just a beautiful, happy kid that made everybody happy, and he's in heaven now, still as joyful as can be, and we hate it. We love that he's in heaven. We hate that we're not with him. Um, but Jameson's joy is what keeps him alive for us because like I said, I think it was last week, we finally finished putting all his stuff in boxes and they're in a closet. He, our son is literally in a box and we have a few things in our house to remember him by, but. We don't get to talk to him every day. We don't get to hug him ever again until heaven. We don't get to kiss him goodnight. We don't get to ask him how his day was and all that. Jameson's joy is what keeps him alive for us. Um, there was something I found the just a, earlier this week, I think it was, of again, Dennis had shared it, and it was beautifully written about how we want to we want to shout our sons names as loudly as you shout your living children's names we want people to talk about our sons as much as you talk about your children who who are still alive Um, just everything along that line and that's the truth i every time i see somebody wearing a jameson's joy t-shirt it Lessens my pain my grief my my bad attitude whatever it is at that moment for that moment it puts a teeny tiny little nugget of joy on my heart that hey my son's memory is alive and somebody's remembering him and honoring him by wearing the shirt it's a stupid t-shirt but it's one of the biggest things you could possibly do because you're You're saying you care. Um, Every time somebody shares a memory, every time for Jameson's Joy, if you perform an act of kindness, uh, whatever it is, every time a dad comes to one of our breakfasts or comes to our our fist pump line at carpool or whatever it is, every time you do that, you're letting my son speak. And it's not an audible voice, but it's a very loud voice message that he his joy is still here and impacting people the way it was before Um, so again we chris and i've talked numerous times about how do you talk to people who are hurting and again let our boys live let our kids live keep talking about them sharing their memories yes you're probably going to get tears because the, realistic, the realists, uh, I can't think of the word, the reality is our our boys aren't here. But you're helping us live with positive memories of them instead of just dwelling on the negatives that we dwell on every other second of every other day.
0: Yeah, Dan, that's,
1: uh, you know, it's Carson or his...
0: Jamison's joy shirt yesterday. He had it on backwards and he refused to turn it around, but (laughs) he wore it all day long. So uh, it made me think of you guys, obviously when he, when he had it on
1: love uh, it. Yep. Forward, backwards doesn't matter. The name is still there. Hey
0: buddy, you got that on backwards. He's like, yeah, I like it better like this. (laughs) All right. That's cool. (laughs) All right. So, um, this might be a hard question too. And I don't know if I've ever asked this question or not. Um, you know, Jameson was an organ donor and I don't know what organs he donated. And I don't know if you want to share that or not. That's totally up to you. Um, and I was curious if you ever wanted to meet the recipients of whatever organs were donated.
1: Well, you're going to get the answer you didn't expect. And I guess we haven't talked about it. Um, that's probably my biggest regret. And again, there's nothing we can do about it. We live in a small town in Western North Carolina. Um, Jameson was not able to donate or any organs because the nearest medical examiner from where we live is about two hours away in Winston-Salem. And I guess this is, this is my regret of everything at the hospital. But again, without any experience and knowledge, how would you even think about asking about it? They drove Jameson's body to Winston-Salem about two hours away, two hours, 15 minutes away in an unrefrigerated car. So by the time he got to the medical examiner, all the organs were already useless. And I can, that, that's what actually makes me very mad that they couldn't, I I mean, I didn't see the need for an autopsy, In hindsight, I'm glad we had one because we know what caused his death. But as I shared early, early on in our show, I think the reason they did the autopsy was looking for signs of parent uh, child abuse. And I get it, but it was still like, oh, my God. I mean, in our grief, we're still being investigated for child abuse because they have to. And I get it. But we live close enough. I mean, even Winston-Salem, two hours away, could you not have driven a refrigerated car to Brevard to get his body and then driven it back? I mean, there were ways. We have, I think, Greenville, South Carolina is an hour away. I imagine the hospitals there are pretty good. Somewhere there is a refrigerated car. And I'm sorry, this may sound stupid or whatever, but get a Freaking Pepsi truck then and put his body in there because you have a family that's willing to try to help other people survive. It it could have happened, but it didn't. So there was no organ donation. And that that's one of the things that keep continually adds a lot of pain to us because we it, it was obviously a way we could have honored Jameson and, and helped so many other people, but also just thinking back to that morning in the hospital, we left so much quicker than we wanted to in order for them to prep the body for organ donation, to get it back in the fridge and all that. So they, they knew then that there was no refrigerated car. Why didn't they say, hey, sorry, this isn't going to happen? And maybe we would have stayed longer or maybe we could have said, you know what? Hey, get the car from Winston-Salem, whatever. It doesn't matter if it's today or tomorrow. Come on. Um, But it didn't happen.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I do remember that now, um, as you said that, as soon as you said it, it clicked right in my mind. I remember you telling me this and, uh, i regret for you the most is because you could have had more time in the hospital with jameson you know you could have had those final moments uh you know we've talked a couple times about the differences in the way our children passed and you know how yours was very sudden and mine was a very slow process and how they're both so difficult right because for you you lost jameson instantly and he was just gone and you didn't get to say your goodbyes whereas for me i had to watch my child slowly die over a week And then, but I got to say my proper goodbyes, or at least in my opinion, uh, you know, I got to hold him as he passed. So what a difference. And, you know, I'm curious too, uh, And have you ever checked with uh, your, your local ER where Jameson went to see if they ever fixed, you know, installed protocols so this doesn't happen to anyone else again? Um, you know, maybe that's something to consider that's just kind of flown into my mind now. Like, Hey, I know it's been three years. What, what are the procedures for this? Because you basically, you know, stole that chance from our family to help other families out. And I want to make sure that doesn't happen to another family. So I was just curious, just, just popped into my head now.
1: And I I haven't, I've never even thought about that. That's a good point. Uh, maybe I'll do that. And our, our local hospital has gone through a, a takeover. So, um, But, yeah, that's not a a bad idea to do Because I would
0: think that most hospitals would have a protocol set in place because they have protocols for everything. And it sounds to me like someone didn't follow the correct protocol for Jameson and they stole that from you. And I I feel horrible for you guys because, uh, you know, you lost that extra time because you were trying to do the right thing and help other families. And because someone didn't follow the right protocol or there wasn't protocol set in place, yeah. That cost that for your family. So
1: yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's that's a good idea that maybe I'll make make that phone call and see. Um yeah. you just hit on something else too that um still after three years and how my grief has progressed, um, one thing that has not progressed is the when I think about Jameson's last minutes um, was, was he alone? He was alone. And what thoughts went through his mind? Cause I mean, I don't know if he just quietly went to sleep or if, if he was in any, I, I think I'm very comfortable with the thought that he probably wasn't in any more pain than he was in all night long. Um, and that he probably just went to sleep, but I wonder were there any thoughts in his mind of, oh my God, I know somehow he knew he was dying or, or God, I wish I hadn't sent dad out of the room or where are my parents or anything like that. Um, I think, I think I'm comfortable with the fact that he probably didn't, he probably just fell asleep. Um, but that will haunt me forever.
0: Yeah, man. I'm I'm sorry, Dan. That is, uh, and I think all you know grieving parents go through that. I, I had a rush of uh, just like you're kind of got some tears right now. I got a rush of tears to my eyes just as you were talking about that because it's so natural to think about how it happened, you know, for for your own kid. And I I think the same thing all the time. Like there were a couple times Mason. They took him off his medicine that kind of put him in his medical coma to see if he would wake up. And he, he was slowly waking up a little bit. And and I know he knew the tube was in his mouth breathing for him. And you know, what kind of fear was running through him that I couldn't save him from. So I know,
1: yeah, I know yeah. what
0: you're going through, man. And it's, it, it does eat you up inside for sure. So.
1: And I want to highlight just for people listening who are not the grieving ones. Um, I can see somebody here listening to us saying, well, God, thank God Chris got to say goodbye to his son. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's,
0: they're, they're, it's such a double edged sword, you know? Like, yeah. it's. I held my son in my arms as his heart stopped, and I picked him up, and I heard his final breath come out of his body. And, uh, yeah, that's that's going to haunt me forever. Yep. Just like uh, just like it is, you know, what you and Jameson, bud.
1: Yep.
0: So, but, you know, I really want to keep this more on Jameson today because it's a big day for you guys. And, um, you know, uh, moving on, next question I have for you is, you know, you talked about sleep earlier, right? Wow, sleep really changes after losing a loved one and you're going through grief. And I'm curious now three years in how your sleep pattern is, if it's changed at all, it's gotten better because, um, you know, these things kind of haunt us at night when you're alone with your thoughts. So, uh, if you want to go into that, that a little bit,
1: sleep still sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's as easy as that. We, uh, Eric and I both, we have trouble sleeping. Uh, I think, it is a very rare night that we don't that we don't wake up in the middle of the night i probably 5 6 nights a week will wake up about 3 or 3:30 in the morning and i'll be awake until 5 5:30 in the morning and and then i'm able once that time hits i'm usually able to fall back asleep and i actually sleep super well unfortunately on work days the alarm goes off at 6 o'clock. So uh, well, I don't get to capitalize. On weekends, on Saturday and Sundays, it works great because from that 5, 5.30 until 7, 7.30 time, I wake up from that and you can tell, I could just tell that that was some good deep sleep there. But no, I am, I am exhausted every day physically just from lack of good sleep. And then... You add on top of that, the grief and the job and everything else. And just, no, we're not sleeping well. I know Erica. It
0: makes it so difficult to function throughout the day and get through your grief because you're so tired. But at the same sense, there's something in us that, you know, it just doesn't shut off at night. You can't let your body settle down and get to sleep. So,
1: right. Yeah.
0: Um... So when Jameson went to heaven, um, you know, obviously we have to keep living here on earth. And I wonder if you could get into, uh, how did your relationship with Erica and Reese change? Did they change at all, you know, when Jameson went to heaven? Because I know my relationships with my wife and children changed to a degree. And I was curious how, you know, obviously share as much or as little as you'd like but um, it's another factor that goes into grief that a lot of people don't think about uh, in my personal opinion.
1: Yeah. I think as I've shared before, Eric and I, I think it was on the first day we, we were talking about all the statistics of marriages ending with child death and all that. And we looked at each other directly and said, divorce is not an option. And that, Set the tone. So, I don't. I don't know that a whole lot's changed. Where our marriage is stable. Um, we're both c- relatively calm people, anyways. I know. In in a in a ex- living in a light exciting lifestyle kind of view, we're we're calm. I know anybody that sees me in school thinks I'm wild and crazy. Um, that's for the job, but Erica and I live simple lives and I don't, I don't know that a whole lot's changed. Um, we're, I think we're, it's safe to say that we're, we, we have a stronger marriage in the sense that we know that ultimately we're all that we have for each other is all we have is each other because as Chris and I have talked about People go back to their lives, understandably so. We're in this; we're stuck in this forever, and we we welcome people to join us and walk with us. But realistically, on a day to day basis, most of the time we're walking alone. So we we have each other, and that's it. So our marriage is stronger in that sense. That. We, we understand each other, the pain that we're going through. We can help each other through whatever situations or emotions that we're going through. Um, we, we, we attended a class at church right before Christmas about marriage. And one of the th- questions was kind of, where do you see our marriage going? And when I asked Erica that, it hurt. Her answer hurt but I get it. Um, she she said right at, to me directly in my face, I just want to survive. I want our marriage to survive. And I'm like, and I, I told her, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to set the bar a little higher. Um, hopefully someday we can we can thrive again. But I totally get what she's saying. It's like, yeah, right now it is. It's even three years in we're, we're trying to survive, and because I don't, I don't know what it what it takes to ruin a marriage, but I'm sure there's something out there. When you're grieving the loss of a child, I imagine it's it doesn't have to be anything too major to to flip a switch and ruin everything very quickly. Um, Reese, I struggle with because his and I, his and my interests are not as lined up as Jameson and mine were. And so it, it's harder. You, you've got to put yourself in your kid's world. And that's hard to do when you're exhausted every day and still grieving the loss of another child. Um, I don't know. Again, I, I think if I look, if I really take a good look at it, I think our relationship is stronger because it's just him now that he he and Erica get all our time. Um, but it's still it's still hard because our interest he's interested in things that Erica's interested in, so they they have that easier, more natural bond of of doing things together, and I like. I like riding bikes. Reese hates riding bikes. I like playing sports. Reese hates playing sports. Um, he will now watch sports with me, so that's good. Um, I put myself in his world as much as I, I can, but it's not... I mean, he's a kid. He he wants my attention all day, every day, and I, I can't do that. So it it's, no, yeah. it's a challenge.
0: For sure. That's a normal dad challenge I think we all have um you know obviously with me with four boys same thing Aiden is my my one child where we just don't I love him to death he's my boy but we don't have any hardly any interest in the same stuff at all but um you know like you said as a dad you got to put yourself out there and um even if it's uncomfortable for you try to make it as comfortable as you can for them to uh help them out so um, getting close to the end here, Dan, I was curious, um, advice, what advice would you give for someone that's new to grief? Maybe parents that have just lost a, a child, what, what advice are you going to give them now that you're three years in and you've, you know, you've run the initial hard gauntlet? Uh, what can you, what can you tell them to, um, get them through these difficult times?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. The road is long and but it is a road that you can walk down and one step at a time you can make it farther down that road Um, for me the end of the road is heaven whenever someday and again erica and i are fine with if if god wants to take the wheel and drive us off a cliff in the mountains whatever we're ready um just with the way everything going on in this world and and our grief and everything and we want to go see Jameson um but we're not going to do that ourselves so for for people grieving i know mental health is a big deal uh, it is a long long road the pain does lessen if you take steps if we've we've talked before about uh, some of the Facebook groups, what Erica and I found in those first few days <clears throat> were people that were saying, like, it's tw- I'm 20 years in, and I still can't get out of bed. That's a, that's a problem. Um, for those of you who are just starting this road or continuing it wherever you are, find help. Find those people that you can talk to, because if you're alone, I can only imagine that thoughts of suicide... And your grief, just everything is magnified so much. And we've, it is hard. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to cry. Uh, It's hard to relive the memories. It's hard to relive the pain. But we've got to try to heal. And we can't do that if we keep everything bottled up inside of us. Um, Chris and I have talked to numerous dads about this podcast. Um, and a lot of them have said, I'm just not ready yet. Nobody's ready. I don't, are we ever going to be ready for any part of the grief of losing our child? Probably not. But it's, it's a, it's a decision that you're ready to take one more step to try to heal. Um, and again, we're not going to heal. That's. I hate to say it, but maybe Dennis would correct me, but it's an unattainable goal in my eyes until we get to heaven, then we're healed. Uh, But every step you take toward that healing is a step that you take away from the deepest part of your valley. Um, So I want to encourage and I want to beg every single person that's hearing this, whether it's grief or... Again, anything in your life, financial hardship, job, kids, whatever, talk to somebody Uh, and be prepared. Talk to somebody that you're able to cry with and talk to somebody that you're comfortable saying the ugliest of the ugly things. I've, I've talked with Chris privately about some things that I'm not ready to say on air. Um, about just the sick, sick thoughts that go through my head sometimes. Um, and they're, I know that they're just thoughts. They're not who I am and what I really want, but they're my mind and the, the deepest parts of my grief looking for something that can help me claw out of the valley that I'm in. Um, you've got to find those people that you can talk with openly, honestly about, Anything and that they're not going to try to fix you, they're just going to listen and acknowledge your pain. Um, I've talked to two guys this week who are who put out pleas for mental health, um, which I I give them all the credit in the world. Um, They one in Brevard, one in Raleigh area just put on a local Facebook group, I'm hurting and I need help and the responses to that were wonderful they got flooded with notes from people saying man good job speaking up Um, and then here's some resources that can help and I wrote a direct message to both of them just said hey man I'm I'm not going through the same thing that you're going through I'm grieving the loss of my son the anniversary is this week Um, I'm not a therapist but I have ears and I can listen And both of them wrote to me, and we've been talking since back and forth. And both of them, and I've asked both of them directly, are you physically safe? And they're both like, yes, that is not a concern. It's like, good, that's step one or two. It's an early step that needs to be taken, make sure that they're physically safe. And then let's talk. And the one that's local, we're gonna get together for coffee sometime soon. But I don't know what they're going through. And I can't fix what they're going through, but I can listen. And one of the things that I made sure I told them was that it sucks. Your pain, but your pain is legitimate, and there's nothing wrong with you being upset. Because um, people, people need to know that mental health is is a real issue, and we need to talk about it to get that help. And that would be. That would be my advice to everybody. Reach out. Chris and I have said it a million times. We're here to listen. Uh, it it may be grief. It may be something else. And we can, we can listen. At the very worst, we can listen and let you air out. Because it, it does feel good. Not good. It does help. And it cleanses your mind and your body a little bit when you can just release everything. That's what I got.
0: No, I think that's great, great advice. Uh, You know, we can't emphasize enough about mental health and how important it is. And You know, like you said, this is a hard, hard world right now. And it'd be so much better if everyone just supports each other and helps them out, helps everyone out and, uh, you know, helps everyone get through these difficult times for sure. So. All right, Dan, anything else you want to add? Anything you want to throw in there? This is uh, your last moment here for, um, for this episode, at
1: least. I want to go back to what started Jameson's Joy. I want to encourage everybody with kids to say yes. Uh, you're looking and listening to the proof right in front of you that your life can flip in an instant. Ten hours. Uh, we are... We are literally 12 hours away from Jameson coming into our room with what we thought was the flu. And we are 20, if my math is right, we're under 22 hours away from him being dead. And it can flip in an instant. So take advantage of the time that you have right now and every single day to focus on what's important. And your job is not what's important. Yes, you need to provide for your family. But what's important is your family, your loved ones, and your community. And just make the most of the moments we have to try to make somebody's life better and, and connect with our families because you never know.
0: Oh, great advice. And uh, I hope everyone heeds that. I've I've had some say yes days with the boys since mason has went to heaven and they love every second of it and you know we we take every opportunity we can now to not squander those moments anymore not that we were squandering them before but you just don't focus in on them as much as uh when you deal with the grief of loss and uh it really puts everything in perspective so well i think that's it for this episode we want to thank everyone for taking the time out of their day to listen to us Uh, thank you dan for sharing those intimate stories and um you know details with us because i know it was hard Um, i want to thank everyone at wmql radio in brevard for taking the time to listen to us and uh the people at the radio for putting us on if you need to get a hold of dan there's always info at jamesonsjoy.org or you can hit up his social media sites on facebook or instagram uh same for myself Chris at Milermasonmemorial.com or uh, same thing on social media Milessur Mason uh, Memorial Foundation. So we really thank all of you for your time. Thank you again, Dan, and keep pushing through and have a great day.